Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic on Facebook, and you can always shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who survived his first married Christmas. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, that's a fantastic way to put it. My married uh, Christmas. And uh, no, it's fantastic, Gerald. Um, I am I am excited for the few days we have left of 2019 and then very much excited for the new year. There was uh, a lot of events in 2019 and the only good one uh, was getting married. So I'm excited for 2020 to come. But before that happens, Gerald, there's one particular football game of note right before the ball drops. Perhaps on the eve of the new year, you could even say, Kyle, the Texas Longhorns are lining up for a tilt against the number 11 Utah Utes in the Alamo Bowl, a place where Texas has been far too frequently in the last 10 years. So uh, we did a interview and a preview with our friends from Block U last week on Thursday. You can check that out if you haven't. Uh, some really, really good stuff. We talked uh, weirdly about the LDS Church and uh, their connection with Polynesian football players. We also talked Utah football. So we did an in-depth interview with the Utah Utes, or about the Utah Utes. You can check that out on the podcast feed from last Thursday. We're going to preview the Alamo Bowl matchup, kind of from the Texas vantage point, as we look at how they match up with Utah. So Utah's last time out, they lost to the Oregon Ducks in the Pac-12 championship, 37-15. to Oregon rushed for 239 yards and three touchdowns, including a 70-yard back-breaking touchdown by C.J. Verdell. On the year, Utah has been one of the best defensive teams in the country, holding teams to 13.2 points per game, 256 yards per game, and 4.4 yards per play. Now, the Texas coaching staff has had a little bit of an upheaval since the end of the year. That's probably an understatement, but... They're still trying to figure out what's going on, and and Tom Herman likely to be calling plays in the bowl game as he has for basically all of the year. So as you think about how the Texas offense looked over the last four weeks of the regular season, three of them looked pretty terrible, and then in the season finale, they looked like they figured something out. So what what are you expecting from the Texas offense as they match up with an usually stingy Utah defense? Yeah, we'll talk a minute about how how the uh, vice versa of the defense fares against the offense. But when you look at what Texas offense can do, it's kind of interesting because the place that I look, the place that I go for inspiration um, is Graham Harrell. I go to the USC-Utah game, I think the fourth game of the season. Utah um, was ranked number 10 at the time, was undefeated with their only regular season loss. Um, and, and, and Graham Harrell, that was where he kind of – put himself in line for a lot of big jobs is because uh, he did a masterful job of moving the ball on a really stingy defense. And it was very much with their backup quarterback, um, Fink, I don't remember, Matt Fink, um, who threw for 351 yards, 
three touchdowns. Um, and, and really, even though they only rushed four, if you take uh, all of the negatives in 13 yards, they did have, you know, uh, one running back with 40 yards, but uh, 13 total yards in the box score. Once you subtract the negatives, they, they did it with receivers um, who were big. And, and it seemed like Utah struggled a little bit with the size. So you had Michael Pittman, who had his best game of the season, the senior receiver for the Trojans, who's 6'4 and 220. And then you had just kind of the freak um, athlete who we, we talked about when we played USC, Amon, uh, Amon Ra St. Brown, who also went off um, and had a touchdown in that game, five catches for 68 yards. So I, I kind of think if you just think about the script for how you do it, this could work. Again, they are going to know that, but they are going to be tough to rush against. They haven't given up a 1,000 yards all season. Um, I, I really and truly think that this is a chance for Sam Ellinger to prove, as he did in the last bowl, and with the time to scheme against it, hopefully they take advantage and get him in the position to be successful. But I think there's a chance for both of Texas's big, um, or, or one big and one lightning fast with sure hands, uh, senior receivers in Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson, to exploit the weakest part of a very, very, very good Utah defense. I think passing the ball is going to be their success. I don't want to see them get one-dimensional. I would love for Sam to have some design runs. This is the time when you you want to pull that out, right? This is the time when you use your weapon. You don't need to save it. Um, I would love to see them try to get you know, Keontae Ingram going. But I think if you really are facing a lot of issues there, and I know we've talked about, hey, Texas abandoned the run too quickly, this is probably not the defense that you want to be stubborn against. There are some factors on top of what was already, again, not not a weakness, but the weakest part of a very good defense. I say it that way intentionally. Um, and, and that was being able to, to you know, give up the, the big play to the big receiver. Um, but they also are without three players in the defensive backfield. And, and the, the stat I want to leave everyone with, um, Julian Blackman, who, who you know, we, we kind of... Jalen Johnson gets gets a lot of the talk. Is a really locked down corner, and, and certainly what we can talk about that. Julian Blackman this season, I I, I saw a, a stat I believe from a Pro Football Focus in 324 coverage snaps at free safety this season. Blackman allowed <clears throat> five catches, Gerald, five catches for 63 yards, and had three uh, interceptions and and five pass breakups. Those are elite, elite numbers. That's basically how Earl Thomas got selected to the Pro Bowl this season. That that scared me once I read it, and then I remembered, oh, that's right, he's not playing, nor is his backup, R.J. Huber, uh, in that position. So, to me, I, I, I feel secretly, quietly, not boisterously optimistic. Yeah, and I think Oregon really showed the formula for attacking this Utah defense. You talked about the receivers. So they went right at the corners. They went right at the cornerbacks and bodied them. And then they ran at the center of the Utah defense. They ran right up kind of between the tackles. There wasn't a lot of, you know, cut back and outside. It was, it was between the tackles. It was the, the A and B gaps. And I think that's something that Texas can really, really take advantage of, especially with a month ish of Herb Hand scheming the blocking schemes and I think a month for the running backs to get healthy. I think there's a lot that Texas should be able to do in the running game. And that's really what I want to see is I want Texas to go run first in this game. 
go run first in this game. You've got a quarterback that can run an effective RPO. So go run first. Hand the ball off to the horses. Hand the ball off to Keontae. Let Roshan have at least one more game where he gets 10, 12 touches. Like, he's going to move back to quarterback, probably take a development redshirt year. So let the man eat for one more game. Feed those, feed those guys and help keep the offense balanced. And then when you attack the corners with Colin Johnson in his last game in Burnt Orange, and you attack the corners with Malcolm Epps, and you attack the corners with Brendan Eagles, and you have Devin Duvernay running underneath, that's where you'll see success, I think, is is keeping them. Because that's what Utah was really able to do for most of the year, is turn a team one-dimensional, and then their corners kind of clamp and play press. If you know you're going to pass, then then beat receivers at the line, push them back, get them off of their rhythm on passing routes, and it's really easy to, to disrupt. And I don't necessarily think, outside of probably Oregon and USC, that Utah has played a team with the level of offensive firepower that Texas has. Yeah, I, I do think that, that they can out-athlete them. And that's why I chose USC, because USC is a lot like Texas had Texas had a couple games break their way, right? They had some injury issues. They have a, a good, talented roster. They probably... You know, again, them or Oregon, and, and I might argue USC has the most talented roster in that conference, and it's a lot like Texas that they haven't necessarily um, performed and achieved like that. But I do think that that you know Texas has receivers that that are have the ability, especially the depleted secondary, to light them up. But you know, I would love to sit here and talk about wow, what a genius offensive scheme it was. Somehow Texas rushed for 128 yards uh, against this Utah team on you know 17 carries, like 21 carries. Great. I would love an efficient run game that, that makes that. I think exactly what you said is is 100% um, correct. However, I, I just think, um, you know, it, if, if Texas can do what they did all season, all season, and especially in the, the parts where the offense clicked, you take the Tech game, you take out the Baylor game, basically, um, and you look at the, the kind of middle of the season in the offense, they can move the ball on third downs. If they can get ahead when they're not putting themselves in terrible third and longs, they can run or not just throw bubble screens, throw other routes on first down that doesn't basically, you know, give you a 70% chance of being second and long. Um, if they can do those things, if they can get seconds and shorts and make them think about the run, but also have one-on-one coverage, if they can do all the things that are the the little individual win-each-play type of, of matchups, then you set up the chance for Duvernay one-on-one in the slot um, with you know the third-string safety having to keep an eye on him, which is not something any defense in the country wants. Then it sets up Colin Johnson, which I will take with you know Pittman from USC. I will take with any receiver in the country his ability to win a one-on-one matchup when you need it. In, in a fully healthy, we're all we're all hoping Colin Johnson um, to go out there and have something to prove. So I I just really truly think. Um, that side of the ball, I'm actually a little bit more confident about their ability to step up and, and be the better of the two elite units. Utah plays a lot of press coverage, and we've said it all day. The best player on the team at beating press coverage is Colin Johnson. He absolutely changes the way that quarterbacks have to line up. So you you alluded to it, the Texas defense stacking up against the Utah offense and quarterback Tyler Huntley, Utah averaging 34 points per game, 34 rushing touchdowns on the year, just 19 through the air. Huntley is your typical game manager in the weirdest way possible because he's also kind of a dual threat guy. So he's your dual threat game manager. Uh, 73% of his passes, uh, nearly 3,000 yards, which 
Big 12 offenses scoff at 2,900 yards. Uh, 18 touchdowns, four interceptions, but the interesting note is that two of those came in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, running back Zach Moss was kind of the bell cow for the Utah rushing game. 1,359 yards. Big 12 offenses stand in awe at 1,300 yards, averaging 113 uh, yards per game and 15 scores on the ground. Can I say this, Gerald? Huntley and the Utah offense ranked just behind, and a team, I will say, that gave us every bit that we could handle, but ranked behind the mighty Kansas Jayhawks in the passing game. Uh, Huntley is a good quarterback. Huntley had one of, we we talked about in our last podcast, and you should go listen to that because it's a great deep analysis of of, of what the Utah team provides, but average um, more quotes than, 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 um, or dynamic quotes than dynamic 300-yard passing games. I I say that just to say he had a fantastic quote about the BYU rivalry that we referenced. But um, again, like this is not going to be the offense that scares the Texas team. They would be somewhere in seventh and eighth best passing team in the Big 12. However, they can run the ball. They can, um, they know how to line up. They know how to get four to six yards a carry with a, with a really good running back who's really good at making people miss, and, and that should give people nightmares. But again, Texas, it took 40 carries-ish for the best running back in the country and Chuba Hubbard to get, you know, to really get his against Texas, and, and I think that ultimately led to Texas winning that game. Uh, if they want to take Zach Moss, who who is a good running back, averages over 100 yards a game, 15 touchdowns this season, um, with you know 1,300 plus yards. If they want to take 40 yards or 40 uh, carries to, to to get him, you know his his, his stuff, I, I feel pretty good about that. I feel pretty good about if Texas can force them to be a little bit more one dimensional because Huntley, um, in the true like you know the best really probably quarterback in in, in that school's history was branded a game manager and Alex Smith who had a great NFL career but he was really good at completing passes Huntley 73% completion percentage this year is very good however I just don't know that he's going to take the top off of you and so if Texas can scheme set the edge kind of kind of do what what they did well against the run and again Orlando is not coordinating this game but if they can if they can do the best parts of that where they can get you know the the really fast athletic defensive backs downhill setting the edge um against these running backs and and making them see you know see pressure uh two yards behind the line of scrimmage if if Coburn and Roach can can push and 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 you know set the point of that spear um if a jomo can can be quick as he's been all year to 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 put pressure in the backfield like i truly think that texas's run blitz package this year was pretty good i think again to reference that kansas game it doesn't always work and that's why we we have a new defensive coordinator coming and we know that i'm not going to sit here and sing the praises of a defense that that you know had to replace this defensive coordinator but i do think this is an area that they showed some success a couple times this season and so again i'm slightly optimistic but but i am a little little more worried that that you know they could just get a good momentum and again huntley is a good quarterback he is good enough that if you if you start keying seven or even eight, which is not a Big Twelve thing to do, but guys in the run, he will he will make you you pay for it. He will put the ball in the money and let his receivers do some things. Yes, he is able to complete some some passes, but Oregon showed that if you make Huntley have to beat you, I don't know if he's up for it. Correct. I don't know if he's the guy that can that can engineer a last second drive or have to put up twenty points, three scores to get you back in the game. Because Oregon did that, and they jumped routes like it was crazy. Like Oregon yeah. should have had, should have picked him off at least one and not two more times in that game. So 
if you can even slow down the Utah running game and make Huntley have to beat you, then that's an advantage for Texas. Now, that being said, six different quarterbacks set their career highs against this Texas pass defense this year. So if there's one defense that's secure for the common quarterback, it's the Texas pass defense. So I want to know which one of those two phenomena holds true for this game. Is it the Texas defense makes an okay quarterback look great, or is it that the Texas running game can force them to be one-dimensional and allow the athletes that Texas has to out-athlete the athletes that Utah has? I'm just going to say it. like the I'm going to sound like a broken record. Matching athlete to athlete, Texas should win this game. Yeah. If you look at the defense, how the defense matches up with the Utah offense, athlete to athlete, Texas should win this game. But as we've said all year, will these athletes play up to the standard of their talent, which is a big if. If they can, that's a big, big if. That's a huge point. And and the other thing, like you said, when you say athlete to athlete, unfortunately, it is not always top. Like we, we talk about some some big misses for Utah and, and Hubert Blackman, um, and and also you know if they if they uh, they're kind of best prospect for the NFL chooses to sit out this game to protect his draft status. That's three guys missing the game. So again, the, the problem has been all season for Texas is when you say athlete to athlete, but then you look at Texas's, um, you know, actual injuries and players out for, for various reasons. Utah's is, is three deep right now. Texas's is still, even though they've had time and they're getting people back, there's a lot of guys who are questionable who absolutely will play. But their depth chart that they released is 25, I think, 23, something like that, deep. I mean, there are guys, Stearns, Jalen Green, Juwan Mitchell, Cade, or not Cade Brewer, Devin DuVernay, Eagles, Foster, Cosme, Overturn. They're all playing. We're not worried about them. They're listed as questionable, but they're dinged. It just goes to show, obviously, Colin Johnson. But, um, you know, th- there are multiple guys who are out. There are multiple guys we've dealt with all season. Just because we're more healthy, we still have those things. But but this will be the closest we get to see kind of the what could have been this season for Texas. And like you said, man for man, heart for heart, you know, th- th- this is a team that that is better than a seven-win team. They're better than an eight-win team, but at least if they get eight wins and they win a bowl for the second year in a row, they can feel a little bit better. They can stand a little bit taller. They can walk around campus and think, you know, we at least got a little bit of of remedy at the end for for what was a disappointing season. And so I I do think that – I don't think that the Utah team is going to suffer from Georgia, which I don't really buy anyways, but um, that, you know, hey, we didn't want to be there. We wanted something more. But even if there was an, an iota of that, I don't think that Utah is going to be as 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 much. I think they are excited. I think they are not a powerhouse in the way that Georgia was that, you know, this is still a big game for them. Yeah, they missed the playoffs. That stinks. But I see them as the team that says, all right, we want to beat Texas by 30 then and make you feel silly for not including us in that group, right? They they are going to come out with something to prove because I think that's the type of coach that Kyle Whittingham is, um, and I think his players will, will get that. So I think it's going to be an absolute battle. I, I think it's going to be incredible. And this is a this is a game that can really change what the narrative is in the offseason because 8-5 and five looks a lot better than 7-6. and six. Ton better. So the conversation around Tom Herman this offseason can either be 
You know, Texas had a disappointing year, but played really well against Utah, won the Alamo Bowl, signed a top 10 recruiting class, new coordinators coming in, a lot of excitement around the Longhorns. Or Texas really struggled in the second half of the year, lost to Utah, finished the year 7-6, and six, fired both coordinators, yep. not maximizing the talent. Like, legitimately, one game can change the entire narrative of the offseason, which people don't think momentum is a real thing and, and that players don't hear this stuff, but like there's a vast difference in the conversation that can happen and how players feel when their coach is on the hot seat. Oh man. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, it matters like that. that that's the thing when, when we say fans, you do play a difference. I think the Aggies have cornballed it and make it, you know, utterly corny to the point that you can't really, you know, agree with them, but there is, there is a huge part, um, about that. And, and, you know, I, I know players who've said like they're fans who leave early when they lose and don't sing the eyes of Texas with them. And it hurts. It hurts because they want to be better for them, but it hurts because they want, uh, you know, they want those fans there lifting them up. And so I will say this is I, I sure as heck hope that anyone who has a chance, um, on the 31st has a chance to go help the team change that narrative, who has a chance to go lift the team up to make this a home game. Come on, man. They, they are, they are coming to, uh, our house, you know, just down the road. I don't want Alamo Bowl to be our permanent house, but it is, you know, an hour south of DKR. Um, it, it's it's a great holiday time to get down there. You can spend your uh, spend your New Year's on the Riverwalk. Highly recommend it. But I, I hope that this is such a lopsided home game for the Longhorns. And there's no indication that it's not. I think fans are, are buying tickets and won't be out there. But I hope that the, that this is a you know. I think it's going to be a close game, and I think one of the keys to difference could be Texas having a home field advantage in this one, and, and I, I hope I'm not embarrassed uh, by predicting that. So with all that out of the way, Kyle, it's our final firing Smokey of the football season. So what are you firing Smokey on for the Alamo Bowl? So I'm going to first give you the lowest of hanging fruit because I have had a couple people who have asked me about this Um Already throughout this week, uh, and I, I do not think that there's any chance in which Cam Rising, who was recently ruled eligible by the NCAA, will play a significant role in this game. And if it does, then that means something crazy for the Utes, uh, and probably a good thing for Texas. Again, Cam Rising transferred from UT. We we currently are are just crawling out of a 3-0 deficit to the Utes where they, they, they got Cam Rising, they flipped Van Fillinger and Ty Jordan, um, but we flipped Jalen Ford. So the momentum right now is with Texas, but I don't think that Rising will play. So that's my easiest one. Now, now I and this may be equally as easy based on how vehemently you heard me say this, but I think that the seniors, that I think Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson, the two big receivers with things to prove, with with money on the line, with, with NFL scouts watching this game to see, hey, can Duvernay do it against really good defenses? Is he that good? Are we really gonna, you know, spend a, a day one draft pick on on this guy? Is he is he that good? And Colin Johnson, a guy who, man, he's got the size, he has everything. Can he put it all together? Can can he do that? And we've seen it against OU, seen it against teams, but against a really good defense, there's there's a lot to prove for those guys. I think that those two receivers will have over a combined over 200 yards and at least one touchdown. I, my my pretty sure flex is that there could be two touchdowns to be had uh, between those guys, but I think 200 yards and at least one touchdown um, is a no brainer um, for for those two, and 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 I really truly honestly think that they could they could even make that you know in three and a half quarters that that look like all right now what's the next they're obviously going to hit that milestone because I really do think that that's to me the key to this game is how those guys go out uh, and attack that defense. 
I really think that Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay are going to have really incredible games. So I think, uh, one, I'm frustrated that you took the, the, the one that you and I both probably agree on. So I'm firing Smokey on the Texas pass rush. I think that Texas is going to be able to put some hands on this Utah quarterback and come away with three sacks in the game. Not one, not two, but three sacks, which hopefully turn into not one, but maybe two interceptions. Ooh. Can you give a, a brief refresh there? It's three sacks and two interceptions? I think the defense is going to go off. Ooh. Ooh. You are a Chris Ash guy, huh? <laughs> I I think that Texas has played better defense against way better offenses. I like it. I, I really like the confidence. Um, I, whew, man, that's spicy, and I like it. I think either one of those may happen. I, I, if you if you get them both, man, you 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 earn my. I'll, I'll buy you a burger. So Texas on New Year's Eve will take on the Utah Utes in the Alamo Bowl. Again, if you want to hear this from a Utah spin, you can check out last Thursday's interview. We interviewed our friends over at Block U to help get some insights into the Utes. All right, now, Gerald, it is time for our special holiday edition of the best segment on any podcast in the history of the world, Burnt Orange Lenses, in which we look at uh, all of the world with a burnt orange set of glasses on, and and we're jumping right in. Pro Football Focus, we referenced many times, does a good job um, doing ratings. It's kind of their end of the year, uh, and one of the things they, they looked at that, that jumped off the page at me, uh, because I think... And we'll talk about it. I wonder if, if we felt this way all, all season. But the highest run blocking grades from Big 12, um, they look specifically at the tackles. Um, and, and number two was Sam Cosme gave him a 78.3 only behind Oklahoma State's Tevin Jenkins. Again, he cleared the way for Chuba Hubbard to lead the country. Um, but but a great deal ahead of, of third place Lucas Nyang um, from TCU. So, um, Gerald, are you surprised at all to see Sam Cosme grading out quite so high not surprised it's probably not the right word because i feel like cosme of the texas offensive line was probably one of the more consistent guys Uh, i think he had his struggles this year but of the five guys across the front he's the one that i would say probably you could point to as the most consistent especially as it comes to run blocking yeah, and, and, I, and I wonder if you and I, or maybe just me, um, put too much because he had elevated himself into the Connor Williams territory. He had elevated himself into the great Texas lineman of yore that we think about when we think about all the beef in Texas. And, and maybe there was just some moments he did have fantastic games and he did have fantastic drives and just extended periods. But there were times when it's like, ah, that was good, but not elite. And so maybe it is just a, you know, he rose his bar, his bar rose so high so quickly that you know any regression looked like it was under what what I kind of in my mind expected to be an all American type performance because he has that level of talent. So so maybe it's just a matter of me. But I'm glad to hear when you grade it out, you think the same. Cosme very good with ceiling to be even better next year. Absolutely, I think we I think you you hit the nail on the head where I think the expectations of Cosme were probably a little too high because he is a sophomore. So I think that's pretty a pretty high bar being the second best run blocker in the big 12 uh, in his second year. And I think that that will continue to raise, especially as uh, the rest of the talent on the offensive line continues to rise as well. 
Perfect. I'm glad to hear that. So um, this podcast is dropping just before the next bit of uh, news is relevant. So hopefully you all have your calendars marked for uh, Friday the 27th for the military bowl um, when Mac Brown will lead uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels in out onto the field. Um, just great to see Mac at that level coaching bowl teams um again fantastic year regardless for them but one of the cool things that he did this week and i almost made this a bang the drum for the other show um but i just i, I just want to make sure we get it in here is is michael unger a player um who was on the team a few years ago at texas a wide receiver and, and player on special teams uh, maybe not a household name but but a cancer survivor uh as well after his his football career uh mac invited him in to come and and talk to the players at north carolina um and it, again it just speaks to a just what an incredible guy mac is and the family atmosphere that he's always had and how much his players will do anything for him for the rest of their lives but to just you know um you just want to root for Mac Brown. You want to root for this North Carolina team. You want them to have success. These are the stories that make us feel good. Yeah, I mean, again, we've talked about it all year, but these players won five games in two seasons. For them to have a shot at seven wins in Mac's first year is just incredible, and I'm so excited for these kids. And Mac talked to him leading into the game that a lot of these guys like don't have places to go over Christmas break, and so them being able to stay on campus and work out is huge for them. And so I'm really, really excited uh, for these these players, these young men, to get to go and experience something really, really cool. And one player we we looked at all season uh, that unfortunately didn't end his year on the highest of notes, but Shane Bouchelle did lose the book. At- Return Bowl, and again, we said this is basically a home game for the Florida Atlantic Owls, but they lost 28-52. to Michelle, not entirely on him, did have 300 yards and a touchdown, um, but they just weren't able to stop that Florida Atlantic offense. Um, they, they mounted something of a comeback. They made it look a little bit more respectable with 14 fourth-quarter points, but uh, Florida Atlantic got all over them early and often. Um, this was a tough one for for Longhorn fans who were who were wanting something good for Shane, but remember he does have uh, does have another year. Yeah, I mean, a lo- one the fact that he was able to grad transfer with two years of eligibility speaks a lot. I think there is a ton of talent coming to SMU. They've actually had a really really solid recruiting cycle. Rashad Samples has paid off in. Uh, just an incredible, incredible amount for them recruiting. So I love what they're doing there. But again, it's it's a team SMU that it they're they're a, a player or two away from really competing for that conference championship. So I think it's really interesting to see them. And and again, if they keep rocking those Dallas uniforms, they I may I may be able to add a, a second flair on my college football Reddit account. Ooh, I like that, man. That's. Uh... That, you know, and, and, and if you get a big enough fan, Gerald, they might just convince you to move back home and live in Dallas in the great state of Texas. But I won't. I won't. I'm just wishing uh, things into existence right now. But let's move to Sundays, right? We we, we know who we're rooting for on Saturdays. The, the NFL season winding down a bit as well as we head into bowl season and playoff season. Um there are two Longhorns announced to the Pro Bowl, both from the same team. A big year, probably not surprise names here. These are guys uh, who who even the casual fan knows, but Earl Thomas, safety Earl Thomas, as well as all-time best kicker in the history of the NFL, Justin Tucker. Um, Gerald, what do you think? Great for those guys. Uh, fantastic season for the Ravens. Any surprise? 
I think those two being on there, yeah, I think uh, a guy like Quandre Diggs probably is a bit of a snub. I think Puna Ford is a guy that the defensive tackle class is more of a popularity contest and less of a who's really making uh, big, big things. Uh, there, there are, you know, again, uh, Jordan Hicks had a really good year. Yeah. Um, Dick, uh, Dixon is another guy that probably could have been there. The fact that there are no Seattle guys, I think on that list is probably the weirdest one to me. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, uh, I think Dixon, because he was so good, he was the best punter like by every metric his first year, and he kind of had like a four game skid where he almost was human and normal. Um, but he really finished very strong. Uh, Jordan Hicks was fifth in the league in tackles, 136 tackles. So, um, I mean, really, there he's four tackles off being second uh, in in the league. So, I mean, just a really good year that unfortunately didn't get rewarded. Uh, but but nonetheless, uh, I think you're, you hit it nail on the head. There was a couple guys uh, who probably deserve to be in the conversation. But one guy who had a fantastic year, probably better than, than even we expected, um, was Chuck Omenahu, the, 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 big, the big dude, the guy who probably should have been drafted a lot higher, but Houston, Texas made themselves look real smart. Bill O'Brien said as much. So that's a great player, going to be a great player for us for years. Um, I think they're really looking forward to what they've got from him this year versus expectation and what they have in the future. And again, Houston Texans, they they run the South, the, uh, the division champions for, I believe, like three straight years, four straight years. So um, Chuck had a great quote. He said, uh, it feels great. I've never actually been the champion of anything. He's had some uh, close calls both in high school and, uh, well, not so much in college, but um, didn't have the college career that he probably deserved. So fantastic for him. Uh, let's see if he can go get the next one. Um, additionally, great news for a recent grad, P.J. Locke sign for the Denver Broncos. He deserves to be on an NFL roster, so fantastic to see that. Now moving to a level below uh, Saturdays to more of the Friday Night Lights, variety high school football playoffs came to a close uh with state titles abounding i'm gonna move straight into the quiz here gerald can you name three alma maters of legendary current football alums and a little bit of a a, 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 a tip here or current players on the roster and it can't just be a guy on the back of the roster good players good careers names that you know most folks would know can you name three State champions uh, that 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 won this year, and I didn't prep you at all for this, and that was a jerk move. So, so let me clarify. So, are they current players or alums? <laughs> okay, so that, so current players that are so like Shadow Creek won, right? Xavier Alford is an early enrollee, so he's technically on the team. Oh, uh, that's a great caveat. I'll give you that because I, so, I was a jerk to you, but it wasn't who I was thinking. So he back counts to 2019. So that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, Carthage, Keontae Ingram. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, man, I, I've got two. <laughs> I'm punting on the last two. All right. Well, Westlake won. So the Sam Ellinger was on hand to watch Austin Westlake win, which wildly was only their second state title. And then the one I was looking for, this is why I threw alums in there. I mainly just wanted to say this. Congratulations to Mart winning the 2A Division II state title. That's the fighting Quan Cosby's, Gerald, uh, from Mart right there. And then also, if you wanted to go alums, Alito won. So I don't know. Have we ever had any famous Alito players make it to Texas? Uh, Jonathan Gray. 
yeah, that's it. That's that was the one. It it we were just talking before the show about his stats, so that was why that one was fresh on my mind. But congratulations to Alito, North Shore, Westlake, Shadow Creek, uh Pleasant Grove, uh one and then uh Carthage as well in the six and five uh in four A divisions. However, you have to look beyond that to the, the lower levels. Coach Zajek will tell you that. So you get Mart, obviously your grand views, your gunters, uh Refugio, Richland Springs, and, and obviously one A champions bloom i don't know if that's blum or bloom but they won i'm looking at the list so uh fantastic news there were some players who obviously like you referenced had some huge longhorn implications you hit the one right off the top Xavier alfred for uh shadow creek did not play um but uh the team won however on the other side to quinton jackson was unavailable um and his team was not able to beat um was not able to beat the the rematch, I think, of the year in all of high school football across the country, the number one game everyone had circled on their calendars as North Shore beat Duncanville. That Shadow Creek game is a little bit of a of a, a mixed bag because two 2021 guys uh, on the losing side of that, Billy Bowman and Jatavian Sanders at Denton Ryan. So those guys will have another year to uh, to try. The, the Shadow Creek situation, now I know that like they took a lot of top players from the other area schools when they, but the fact that they've gone to yeah. back-to-back state championships in their first two years yeah. of playing varsity balls, really, really impressive. Again, there was a lot of talent that they kind of moved in, but I also love that there is a team whose mascot is the Sharks in Texas. I think that's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, the Shadow Creek Sharks is a very cool any given Sunday sounding team name, but uh, yeah, it reminds me of uh, from our neck of the woods when uh, when the Steel uh, Knights came into town and and won championships or went to championships with the talent formerly harvested by the Samuel Clemens Buffaloes and, and Coach Jinx, who's um, I don't remember what staff he's on now, and he's he's been at a couple. He might be at USC actually. Uh, did a fantastic job uh, there. Good friend of the pod. Um, the last note. Gerald, that I want to put here is one that I like to end since we're in the holidays and we're getting to um, the end of the year and looking back and being thankful. Um, one of the things that I'm most excited about uh, in the entire news cycle and, and really the biggest development of the year that just warms my heart is 2019 running back Darian Brown's been cleared for some physical activity after st- suffering a stroke um, between basically signing day and committing to the Longhorns and being able to arrive on campus, which is a tender um, and, and, and crazy age of 18 uh, to suffer such a thing. But uh, the, the, the progress that he's showing is just like heartwarming. I, I think we talked about, it. I can already wait for the, uh, the tears to roll when they do their uh, outside the lines piece on this guy. Yeah, Tom Rinaldi's gonna make grown men cry when he gets a hold of this one. Uh, from the from the suburbs of Georgia to the plains of Texas and the forty acres. Some things are bigger than football. But some things football puts into perspective. Like I can Ooh, already hear it. Like, like I'm it. already getting goosebumps. I'm making myself cry as we record. No, it's just even if that guy never sees the football field again, the fact that the recovery he's able to make. Now, if you look into kind of neuroplasticity and all that, it's something that I'm nerdy about because, like, human development's a thing that I do for my job as far as the brain goes, right? So, like, we see adults have somewhat 
solid recovery. So thinking of an 18 year old being able to, uh, their, their brain is, is it's kind of like how your bones break. Like, right. When you're younger, your bones are able to heal better. So I love that. Not it's, it's a terrible situation, but I think it's really, really cool that Texas has honored his scholarship, got him on campus. Apparently he's doing really, really well in classes as well. So he's kind of a character guy where we weren't shocked by that when we've heard all the things and all the outpourings from people. So it's just really, really good to see a kid, uh, making a recovery and Tom Herman really again he said they're taking it month by month if he's gonna you know fully rejoin the team but seeing him he was in the Popeye's chicken videos in the locker room so he's been a part <laughs> of what they're doing so even if he even if he doesn't take a snap until his junior year like it's just good to see this kid on the sidelines and with the team couldn't agree more Gerald it's it's uh it is a true treat as folks are listening to this somewhere in their holidays to look back on a year and one of the things hopefully every person associated with Longhorn Nation gets a little bit warm fuzzy on their 2019 so that's all we've got for you this week Kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh I'm on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter you can also follow the Texas Pre-gamer at Texas Pre-gamer may be a little bit dormant as we uh, head out of the football season, but uh, you may catch an occasional fantastic tweet popping up in the offseason from the Pre-gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Good. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can check out my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds, where we're talking Star Wars. We're talking Rise of Skywalker. My co-host Raymond and I have vastly different opinions about this film, and so we'll break it down, and you'll hear me and another grown man argue about uh, space fairy tales. So check that out if you're into nerdy stuff. We'd love to have you. Two Woke Nerds, wherever you find your fine podcast content. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, have a joyous Umoja. The, the happiest of Kwanzaa's Christmas, New Year's, and Hanukkah. Hook them. <laughs> <laughs>